Around the world, humans have pushed animals to the brink. But in a few cases, hard work and good decisions have brought them back. In the northeast of the United States, conservationists are breaking down dams and reopening rivers while live gene banks keep America's last Atlantic salmon runs alive. I'm Caroline Losnick. And I'm Charlie Schmidt. You're listening to Episode 3 of the Saving Salmon Podcast, Recovery. So today, for the first time, they're actually demolishing part of the dam. They're starting with the old abutment on the near shore and the old fishway. Andy Good stands by the Sheepscot River, not far from Augusta, the capital of Maine. Good is in charge of the Atlantic Salmon Federation's U.S. programs, and he's about to witness the culmination of years' worth of work, the demolition of the Cooper's Mills Dam. Although adult salmon in the Sheepscot may number less than 100, the fact they exist at all is a testament of their will to survive. Good estimates that there are 2,000 dams throughout the state, mostly small, in disrepair, and blocking passage for the fish, like this dam here at Cooper's Mills. And this dam had a perfectly good functioning fishway 40 years ago, but over time the leaks in the dam have exceeded the inflows and so there's no water through the fishway during the migration season. So the fishway has become sort of obsolete over time. Good says that getting Atlantic salmon off the endangered species list partially depends on reopening spawning grounds long cut off from the sea. Good's office in the town of Brunswick sits inside an old renovated textile mill on the banks of the Androscoggin River. The brick walls and hydroelectric dam just outside his window provide a daily reminder of the industrial development that has fragmented Maine's rivers. Here in New England, in the state of Maine, we've had 200 years of dam building. And as a result, we have over 90% of the historic habitat for Atlantic salmon and many of these other species that they co-evolve with, such as river herring and shad and striped bass. You know, they just can't reach their spawning grounds anymore. The task of opening this habitat is monumental, but good points to the Penobscot River Restoration Project as a reason for optimism. Two decades ago, he started pushing the idea of reopening the Penobscot to Maine sea-run fish, including wild Atlantic salmon. A broad partnership was formed, and nearly two decades and $63 million later, two large dams were removed completely, a new fish lift was built at a third, and a man-made river was built around a fourth. Good says the river came alive. And we're starting to see the results. We're seeing big increases in river herring, American shad, uh, other species like that. And this is what's giving us hope for the restoration of Atlantic salmon. In salmon conservation today, scientists use the four H's to assess human impacts. Habitat, hydrodams, harvest, and one more that may come as a surprise, hatcheries. Um... I get the short answer is they they were probably thinking yippee yahoo. <laughs> Kyle Young is a biologist who has studied the effects of hatcheries on wild salmon populations around the world. He says the yippee yahoo that went up from the pioneers of fish culture quickly caught the attention of governments and companies. And so certainly by the late 19th century, I think we were building hatcheries in a sense to mitigate 
the effects of habitat destruction and logging and mining and dam building and urbanization. And that sadly is one of the legacies of the technology. If we had not figured out how to breed and produce millions of juvenile salmon, we probably would have been less likely to build as many dams as we did and destroy as much habitat as we did because it was very easy for an electric company to say to the community, hey, we're gonna build this dam, but we're gonna have just as many fish because we're gonna build this big hatchery and we're gonna stock them out. People have been stocking salmon in Maine for 150 years. And today, the majority of Atlantic salmon in the state have spent some portion of their life in a hatchery. At worst, these fish develop traits that don't suit them well in the wild, like aggressively chasing food that exposes them to predators, even fighting with each other. But although Kyle Young is still waiting to see a compelling example where hatcheries have rebuilt a wild, self-sustaining population, turning off the hatcheries now could mean the end of U.S. Atlantic salmon altogether. All right, what we're doing is we're snipping off a small fin. Uh, it's a fleshy fin called the adipose fin. So Denise Buckley leads a team of staff and students as they mark tiny salmon born in captivity for release back into the same river their parents came from. Buckley, who we heard from in episode one, manages operations at the Craigbrook National Hatchery near Bangor. It's like an appendix, right? You know, we don't know what it does. We don't know why it's there, so but you know, it's the fin that was put there for biologists to cut off, so. <laughs> and we're doing this so that when we release these fish, the biologists that work in this river will be able to tell the difference between a wild Atlantic salmon, which will still have its fin, and one of ours that will not. Craigbrook has come a long way from its initial mission to simply put out as many salmon as possible. It's now a live gene bank, trying to maintain what's left of the unique genetics that make one main river's salmon different from the next. There's one room for each uh, of six rivers. So since we were just clipping fins in the sheepskit room, I figured we'd pop in and see the sheepskit broodstock, just to give you a sense. Atlantic of salmon are specially adapted to their home rivers, so the team at Craigbrook keeps the population separated and relies on genetic tools to select pairs for breeding. What we feel our role is here is to prevent the extinction of this species. We're the Noah's Ark for this fish in Maine. For Buckley, raising hatchery fish is a temporary fix, a way to boost salmon populations in Maine rivers until they can sustain themselves. The final recovery plan for Maine Atlantic salmon puts a premium on fish hatched in rivers to wild parents. You know, best case scenario is we would love to be able to work ourselves out of a job or, you know, work ourselves into working with another species that needs assistance. Bringing the functioning of those species back to the river in conjunction with removing some of these obsolete dams, rebuilding some of these degraded areas of the river. That's what keeps us here at the hatchery hopeful. Seven degrees ahead of that. Yeah, and the trees should all be on the floor by now, right? Yep, so we've just brought um, fry from the hatchery down here to Eastern Little River, which is a a major tributary of the Pleasant River. If the Craigbrook hatchery is focused on preventing extinction, up the coast near Canada, the Downey Salmon Federation is trying to rebuild self-sustaining salmon runs. A standard, uh, what is this, 20-quart red, red cooler 
and we're bringing them down to the, the riffly water of the Eastern Little River. And they're simply going to be poured right in. So if you come down here... Biologists Dwayne Shaw and Zach Scheller are about to place thousands of juvenile fish into the water. Here they go. And they're going to live in this stream for the next two and a half years. How many did you end up putting in? About 3,400. 3,400 little baby Atlantic salmon that we're just putting into this beautiful stream. And Dwayne Shaw is the Downey Salmon Federation's executive director. He says he recognizes that hatcheries are a double-edged sword. Hatcheries are absolutely a part of the problem in the, in the longer-term sense of how did we arrive at the place we are now, but we are at the place we are now. And, and if you look at it from that perspective, without hatcheries in Maine, we know that the fish will rapidly move to extinction. So 90 plus percent of all Atlantic salmon in the United States have been part of a hatchery program. And it's very, very unfortunate that we're in this situation, but conservation hatcheries are the lifeline to an ultimate recovery, unfortunately. Shaw and his team are trying to find ways to increase the fitness of juvenile salmon in the hatchery so they're better able to cope with the harsh conditions they'll soon face in the wild. You don't want to release couch potatoes, necessarily. You want little athletes out there, right? And part of what we're doing is trying to reduce as much of the domestication of these fish as possible. We want them to be as wild as possible, as fit as possible, and to mirror exactly a wild fish to the extent that we can make that happen. So we raise them in dark-colored tanks. We really increase the velocity of the water, the speed of the water moving around the tank keeps them moving constantly. So then the stock we have to net. The team at the Downey Salmon Federation have been monitoring results on the rivers they stock, and Shaw's encouraged by what they're finding. And it just, it absolutely gives me hope that there can be recovery. You know, as salmon biologists and advocates, we have to have some you know, gasoline in our motors to keep us going. And that means we have to have hope that there's a future for these fish. Back on the Sheepscot River where the Cooper's Mills Dam is being removed, Andy Good with the Atlantic Salmon Federation recognizes that the job of restoring wild Atlantic salmon will challenge everyone involved. Just removing or altering a single dam can take years. People are often attached to the old structures and resist change. And so a lot of these meetings, it's, you know, one step forward, two steps back, one step forward, half a step back. And it's a gradual process and the outcome is never predetermined. Good's approach is to find links between benefits to the river and benefits to the community. In Whitefield, close to Cooper's Mills, Good and his partners negotiated a package that includes creating a public park at the old dam site and installing a pair of new in-stream fire hydrants fed by river water. What I feel good about is the solution here. It's not just taking out the dam to improve fish passage, but we were able to come up with a common vision with the town of Whitefield, with the fire department, with the fisheries folks, um, to remove the dam, but also find a way to improve fire protection. So I, I, you know, I feel good that we were able to address the community needs while also 
getting fish passage up and down the river. Uh, you know, now there'll be, you know, there'll be more stretches that are open to canoers and kayakers. There'll be more public access points. So we think that there will be a, a wider appreciation by the local communities and the younger generation that living here. Watching from a shady spot nearby, Whitefield resident Herb Hartman says he's enthusiastic about the project. Hartman is a retired public administrator, and he was on the local committee that negotiated with Andy Good. The dam has served its purpose, and it's leaking. And this, so this uh, was really a proposal I don't think the town could refuse. I mean, certainly to get rid of these impediments to upstream migration is a big step forward. Well, I would hope that at a certain time of the year you might see salmon going up, that you would see the site uh, carefully maintained and attractive, with the grass mown and the signs not vandalized. Um, and people, all people happy that what is happening now happened. In order for Atlantic salmon to be delisted, taken off the Endangered Species Act, the U.S. federal government says at least 6,000 wild salmon must return to Maine rivers every year. From peak runs that once numbered in the hundreds of thousands, 6,000 fish might seem like a low bar. But that's five times the number of salmon returning to the state today. And at the current pace of restoration, reaching that threshold could take decades. Still, for conservationists and anglers like the men of the VZ Salmon Club, there is hope. And as far as I'm concerned, some of the most valuable fisheries in the, in the world today. And we should take care of it. Hopefully we will. It's a, it's a wicked drug first time that rod tip goes down and that reel starts taking off and you start bringing that rod tip up and you see the fish go in the air, it is uh, it's to die for. After all, fishing takes a good measure of two things, patience and optimism. I'm Charlie Schmidt. And I'm Caroline Losnick. You've been listening to Episode 3 of the Saving Salmon podcast, Recovery. We'll leave you now with a closing poem from Maine writer Jefferson Nowicki. River loves salmon fight song in two parts. One, like every living thing, our heart broke when born, then broke again to get back, the current to swim against, the riverbed stones we once resembled, the bottom of the way back home to lay in the black slippery hole to remember and to go on down. Two, at the mouth where the salt sticks, they've come up with numbers that mean something to someone, but they can keep their numbers. Grief goes beyond counting. Fear means nothing to us. We'll still build our house upriver, like every living thing we always come home. The Saving Salmon podcast is a production of the Atlantic Salmon Federation with generous support from the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. Theme music is composed by Ben Trout. To learn more and get involved, visit www.asf.ca.